Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to the first episode of Series 2 of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. We hear a lot about how HR needs to change, particularly in regard to becoming more digital and analytical, and all to deliver greater business value. But how can HR become more business relevant? That's the topic for this week's podcast, where my guest is Nick Holly. Nick has extensive experience, not only in researching key trends in HR, he was voted the fifth most influential thinker in HR by Human Resource Magazine. He also works with major global businesses, but he also has a background in senior HR roles as a partner at Arthur Anderson and a director of global people development at Vodafone. This gives Nick a highly focused commercial and practical outlook on HR. As well as running his own consulting business, he is director of learning for the Corporate Research Forum, one of the largest HR networks in Europe, where he runs open and bespoke in-company programs, helping HR business partners, HR directors, and group HR directors to become less HR and more business focused. In our podcast, Nick and I discuss how HR can prepare their organizations for a more ambiguous and disruptive world, We talk about some of the traps that HR tends to fall into when using data. Uh, We look at the characteristics required to be a successful CHRO and how that is changing. And then we also look into the crystal ball and ponder what the role of HR will be in 2025. This episode is a must listen for HR professionals looking to increase their business impact and position their organizations to be disruptors. Before we get started, A brief word from our sponsor for Series 2 of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ClickIQ. ClickIQ is an automated job advertising platform that uses the latest artificial intelligence and programmatic technology to manage, track and optimise the performance of your recruitment advertising in real time. Spend is focused where it's needed most to reach both active and passive job seekers across Indeed, Google, Facebook an extensive network of job boards. To find out more about ClickIQ, please visit clickiq.co.uk. Nick, welcome to the Digital HR Leader Show. We're delighted to have you. Thank you. Can you give us a quick introduction to you and your vision for HR? Oh, crikey, my vision for HR is fairly, <laughs> it's fairly simple, and it comes back to a lot of my background. So first 10 years of my life, I worked at Merrill Lynch as an investment banker. Never heard of HR, didn't even know it existed. Um, then I changed careers completely, and I went into OD for about 17 years. My last job, I was head of global people development at Vodafone. Um, and then the last 13 years, I've had a portfolio, so I was a professor at Henley Business School, although I'm not an academic, um, and I do, do my answer work, and I'm working with the Corporate Research Forum at the moment. And part of the reason to work with CRF closely is because we share the same vision of HR, which is HR is not about HR. You know, HR is about the business. It is not about HR. And too often, HR is full of solutions looking for problems. You know, the latest fad, the latest silver bullet, rather than working out what is the problem in your company that you're trying to address. Onto that, I've heard you say, and you've written quite a few times, that CEOs don't care about HR. Yep. Do you want to expand on that? Oh, I'd love to. So, Tomorrow's Unleash, two or three years ago in Amsterdam, on the main stage, I stood up and I said, CEOs don't care about HR. Now, 
at the time I was still at Henley and the following week I was in Shanghai and I got an email from the Dean's secretary saying, are you aware there's a shit storm on Twitter? It's kind of, <laughs> no, because Twitter's blocked. said, well, apparently you said CEOs don't care about HR and a lot of very senior HR folk are really angry <laughs> and John thinks you should go on Twitter and apologise. It's kind of, no, I don't think I will be. <laughs> the, the point I was making was CEOs don't care about HR. They don't care about finance. They don't care about marketing. What they care about is delivering their numbers. Yeah. And all of them are under more and more pressure these days. And what they don't care about are all the basics of HR, unless we don't do them well. And one of them used the phrase, in fact, and this is based, by the way, on interviewing about 45 CEOs, public sector, charities, private sector, etc. And one of them made a great point. He said, I don't care about that stuff unless there's noise in the system. So if it's getting in the way of people doing the business, I care. What they care about is you helping them deliver their numbers. So if you can engage with the business agenda mm. and deliver what they need, they will love you. And it's funny, a lot of HR directors got very uppity about it because I think they were up themselves because they care about HR. And it's, you know, it comes back to the same point. It's not about HR. So why would they care about HR? They care about people, yep. but they don't care about the function of HR. And I think that's probably been one of the big challenges and problems for HR. It's, oh, it's yeah. been too inward-looking and not yeah. enough outward-looking. And as you said, if, the, if HR is helping the CEOs hit their business numbers and helping drive business strategy around yeah. people, then they, they, they're doing their job properly, aren't they? Absolutely. But I think too many people in HR shy away from the numbers. Yeah, I, was, I was running a program and we were talking about value creation and what HR can do to deliver value. And this chap halfway through starts rang out and said, Nick, I think I speak for everybody in the room when I say nobody went into, or at least I didn't go HR into HR because I love the numbers. I went into HR because I love people. And my little inner voice going, oh no, luckily gave me the answer. I said, so you just said you speak for everybody in the room. Does he? And they absolutely destroyed him. Because good people, you know, good HR people understand the numbers. Because I'm sorry, it is about the numbers. Mm. For instance, the classic is employee engagement, you know, the big fad of HR. If you read some of Rob Brinner's work, etc., there actually is a correlation between employee engagement and firm performance. The only problem is the causality works the wrong way. So the more successful a company is, the more engaged employees are. Now, what that means to me is I'm not totally opposed to employee engagement, but we're not doing employee engagement to do employee engagement. If you can demonstrate to me that in certain parts of your business, more engaged employees result in better performance, then we should engage with it. Yeah. But otherwise, it's another one of these solutions looking for a problem. And interestingly, one of the CRF reports on strategic workforce analytics, yep. there's a great example from Clark's well, they actually wanted to understand whether engagement was a leading or a lagging indicator. Yes. And they found for them, it was a leading indicator yeah, yeah. of business performance, particularly with regards to their stores. And then, as you said, that's when it becomes valid, yeah. you know, not doing it just for engagement's sake. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm totally comfortable with that because you're starting with how do we improve performance in our stores, not starting with how do we do employee engagement. Yeah. So we, obviously, we, we, you mentioned mm. Unleash, uh, uh, and obviously the, the conference is taking yeah. place three times a year now in yeah. London, Vegas, and, and Paris, yeah. I think, this year. And a big focus on of Unleash and mm. a lot of the other conferences out there is the future of work yeah. and how and the role HR can yep. play in that. Yeah, you know, but 
you know, what I want to understand is, is really is how can HR help prepare their organisations yeah. for what is a more ambiguous world moving yeah. forward? And I'm going to be speaking on exactly that subject, the future of work, tomorrow. And I just Googled the future of work. Any, any idea how many clicks, how many sites you could go to? Several, well, millions probably. Three billion. Three billion, okay. Ridiculous. <laughs> and all of them are trying to predict the future of work. So there's one organ, I think, I can't remember who it was, predicted 43% of jobs are going to be automated. And then the OECD is saying 9% of jobs is being, integrated, um, being automated. I think the problem for us, and it's the word ambiguous, the only outcome we can't predict is the one we expect. Or the only outcome we won't get is the one we expect. What we do know is it's going to be different. But how, we don't know. And I think that's the role of HR. It's not trying to predict a certain outcome and prepare for it, but prepare organisations for what is going to be a very, very different world of work. So I think that means we need to be, as HR, much more externally focused on what's going on outside, bring that in, synthesising it, so we can begin to share those, using that as a provocateur, as a challenge to the business to help them think, is this really where we want to be going? And then being the architect to build the capability of the organisation to operate in this very ambiguous environment. The problem, and I'll, I'll share a little story. I was doing some work. I won't say who it was, but it was a, it was a, it was a privatised government organisation, and they brought me into work with their leadership team to look at ambiguity. Mm. And frankly, it was a disaster. <laughs> Because what they thought I was going to do was come in and give them a whole bunch of analytical tools and forecasting techniques that would allow them to create certainty in this world of ambiguity. And I kept saying, but the definition of ambiguity is there is no solution. And the point you've got as a leadership team is to be comfortable with that. And somebody gave, it's not my phrase, somebody gave me a great phrase, said, what you've got to do is hold a strong opinion weekly. So you've got to do your analysis, move on the basis of what you find out, but then you've got to be willing to accept you're probably wrong and you need to shift direction. But equally, not moving in this environment isn't acceptable. And I guess that's one of the challenges for HR. You know, HR has designed programs that the kind of one size fits all. Yep. They spend yep. maybe a year or so implementing it across the organisation and they think, okay, we can just not need to look at that for three years. What you're suggesting there is this needs to be much more continuous. We need to be looking and running the numbers on a continual basis and actually adjusting yeah, as we move Absolutely. Go and I think we need, the trouble is because we're so inwardly focused on the world of HR, which traditionally has been about processes that you say you roll out on an annual cycle, we need to look at our businesses where, for instance, in the world of strategy, the idea that you have a three, four, five-year plan, I think it's disappeared. It's more scenario planning. It's not about identifying one potential future. It's about identifying multiple futures and thinking through what would you do if they happen. And as you begin to narrow them down, these futures aren't going to happen. Fine. Mm. We're still in this environment. It could be one of these three things. You don't wait for it, but you move. But you're then willing to shift because you suddenly find out. I, I can't remember who wrote the book. It's a brilliant book called Being Wrong. And I think it's a superb read for HR. Because the problem is most people in business under pressure from the media, etc., can never admit to being wrong. Whereas 99 times 100, we are wrong. Mm. Good leaders, good HR people have got to have the competence to say, when I made that decision, it was the right decision at the time, but the world has changed. I've got new data. I was wrong. We need to shift. But it's so much about ego of, you know, I can never, ever admit to other people I'm wrong. You've got to have the confidence to say, no, I was wrong. We need to change.
Well, that's that's the science thing, isn't it? Really, I mean, yep. how many times yep. was Einstein wrong before he eventually got it right? I mean, absolutely. You know, failure isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as you learn from it. Absolutely, and my, it reminds me of another one of my favourite quotes from Einstein, which is, "If I had an hour to save the world, I'd spend fifty-five minutes defining the problem and five minutes saving the world." And obviously, I go and work with a lot of HR functions, and they'll start off by talking me through what they're doing. Mm. And the question I will always ask them is. What is the business problem that that is the answer to? And what frightens me is not just that they often can't answer the question, that often they haven't even thought of the question. So I was working with one organization that had their, their, their training catalog, had all these NLP courses in it. And it's, so, so what is the business problem that NLP is solution? I don't know. So why are you running NLP? Well, I'm a master NLP practitioner. Really? That's why you're running NLP courses and you can't work out why nobody's going on them? <laughs> well, they probably, you probably didn't even break down what the abbreviations were. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so ambiguity is one mm. thing, disruption is another. Yeah. Um, and, you know, HR traditionally is involved in building organizational capability. Hopefully. How, well, hopefully, <laughs> yeah. How can it help companies actually become a disruptor themselves? In, yeah, yeah. And, and I want to. I just want to step back and make the point you made about building capability, because yeah. I think there's something fundamentally missing in a lot of HR functions that they misdefine their purpose. So they define their purpose as doing HR stuff, whereas to me the purpose of HR isn't doing HR stuff. It's building the capability of an organisation to deliver its strategy. And in a world of disruption, my belief is that the world is moving so fast and disruption is so huge. And by the way, that's not just technology, it's demographics, it's politics, etc. Look what happened at the weekend. Um, we need to become disruptors. Because yeah. I think the companies that will fail are the companies that try and react to disruption rather than moving ahead. And therefore, I think HR's role is to create capability in organizations to become the disruptors in their industry. And I think there are lots of things, but one is risk-taking. I think HR has a major role as the cultural gardeners to create a culture in which risk-taking isn't punished, mm. but we work out what good risk-taking is. And that's not just let's take massive risks and bet the business on it, but let's take small experiments and let's learn from them, move and move and learn. Um, I think a second issue is collaboration. Most good disruption doesn't come from the lone genius. It comes from groups of people, usually from very, very different backgrounds. So again, if HR just sits within HR rather than engaging with the, with the rest of the business and the external environment, I think a third thing is agility, which isn't just structure. I think it's a way of thinking around putting the customers first, about being willing to experiment, etc., doing things at speed. And the fourth thing is hyper-awareness, which is most of the disruption isn't happening at corporate head office. It's happening out there in the business on the periphery. So your corporate people, your senior people, aren't seeing it. It's your frontline staff. So my, my daughter worked for a while. She was in the fashion industry. She worked in a, in a summer job when she was at uni at Zara. And it fascinated me. They were trained to question customers, not on what size do you want, but what, what, what do you like, what do you don't, don't you like? What are some of the trends you see coming? What are you going to be buying in the future? Every evening when they shut the store, they would debrief all the people in the store and then they would send a report overnight to La Coruña in northern Spain. The next morning, they're sitting down together, analysing, and the key thing is together. And when you see the video of their offices, they're all open plan. 
because you've got the, the, the people who are driving the designs here, then the manufacturing, etc. And they can get from, I think their phrase is design to shelf in three weeks. And that is hyper-awareness because it's based on not like some of the old-fashioned businesses where they kind of like to predict a year in advance and work out people like Stripes or Green or, or whatever. But every single day they're changing what they're selling. And I guess it's that, back to your chat with the NLP. Yeah. <laughs> that's where it could be a good use if you're in a B2C organisation <clears throat> in particular by actually understanding what your employees are saying in relation to customers and actually learning from some of those comments. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and as you said, you know, the three weeks is, uh, is, is pretty formidable. Yeah, fast production. Why they're so successful. Yeah. But, but again, it comes down to, it's not that I'm anti-NLP. I, yeah. There is an NLP. Oh, I, know, I know you're not, I yeah. know you, but with a purpose. But, no, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's this thing about solutions looking for problems. All, all of these things have in them a, a core and a nugget of good sense. Mm. It's just, I, I had a seminal moment. So I, I'd never worked in HR, I worked in OD. And I worked in a, a, a recently privatized utility. And I'd read Gary Hamill and C.K. Prahalad's The Core Competency. And I thought, this is brilliant. So I had core competence networks and leading edge, this, that, and the other. And I went to an EFMD conference in Copenhagen in 1993. And I remember it to this day because Paul Evans from INSEAD stood up and he said, I, I wrote this speech. I've thrown it away because all I'm hearing is the organizations doing this stuff. And I don't understand why they're doing it because the world is full of solutions looking for problems. And a little light bulb went off in here. Why are you doing what you're doing? You know, an electricity utility, you sell this stuff on the basis of price. Yeah. My job as head of OD was to simplify the business and take cost out. And what was I doing? Adding complexity and adding cost. And I think the problem is too many HR people are in the space I started in, which is kind of what I was taught to do, yeah. rather than being more pragmatic, faster moving, and actually understanding what is your business all about? Because in that business, it's cost. Which leads us nicely on to people analytics. Yep. You know, I always say the first mantra of people analytics is start with a business problem, not with the data. And I know I've heard you say yeah, that yeah. before. Absolutely. So apart from that one, what are some of the other traps you see HR falling into when it comes to people analytics? I, I don't want to rush over that first one because I do no, think no, that no. is... No, no, didn't think you would. It, yeah, <laughs> so it's just so, so fundamental. So when I was at Henley, I did a big piece of research into big data because big data was the big idea. And the more I looked into it, the more I found that people were fixated with the data rather than, say, working out what the problem was. But even more than that, the problem is most people in HR were fixated with the data they could collect and therefore the answers it could give them rather than coming back to the Einstein question is what, what is the problem we're facing here? And again, it's not my story, but I love the story of you walking down the street at night outside here and you come across somebody under a streetlight scrabbling around and you're saying, what are you doing? So oh, I dropped my car keys. So oh, did you drop them there? No, I dropped them over there. But it's dark there. I can't see this. I'm looking here in the light where I can see. And that's the danger. So the first problem is we don't define the problem. The second thing is we look at the data we've got. Yeah. And too often, we just look at the data within HR. Whereas to me, it's actually the linkages between HR director and marketing, sales, risk, the, you know, the numbers. When I did my research, ironically, the best people I found at using analytics were the British Army, which kind of surprised me. But there were a number of reasons they were good at it. And to me, the core lesson was the first thing they did was they co-located their finance analytics team and their HR analytics team, and they became one 
team. Yeah. Because the problem they'd face was when the adjutant general in the army said, so how many people have we got in the army? You get one number from finance based on budget and you get an FTE number from HR and they don't match. Mm. And it's not who's right or wrong. It's let's just get one answer. So I, so I think that to me is the key thing. I think the third issue is at the end of the day, data analytics, whatever you want to call it, is useless unless you do something different yeah. as a result. And therefore, first of all, we, we start with the wrong questions, but then we've got to think in the answers in terms of people want to know insights that they can action. And again, it's not my phrase, you know the phrase persuasive analytics. It's all very well doing the analysis, but you present it in a way that doesn't make sense mm. to the people that need to act on it, which usually are not the people within HR. And of course, if you do what most HR does, which is reporting on stuff the CEO doesn't care about, coming back to the previous thing, and we just send in all these numbers, and at least one CEO said, this is making me fundamentally doubt the, the intellectual capability of my HR director because they're giving me all this data that I don't care about. And, and I, I, I get they need to care about it. Whereas what I really want to know is how are we going to increase sales? How are we going to increase productivity? How are we going to be faster to market? Who are we, how are we going to beat our number? Now, if you can show me data, and when I did the, the research, there were some great examples of companies that were doing fantastic stuff. I think one of the dangers in any of these conversations, very fashionable to beat HR up. Actually, in my opinion, there are some fantastic HR people there who are really engaging with this, but they, they just don't start. I always think about left to right or right to left. You know, you start on the left with the business strategy and then analytics, blah, 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 to what you do. Too often people are starting on the right with what are we going to do? Then they do the analytics to justify what they've already decided to do and then can't work out why nobody's engaging with it because it doesn't make a difference. Yeah, yeah, I've seen examples of that where organisations, you know, they learn from what people done on the outside yeah. and they'll, they'll develop a predictive <clears throat> flight risk model. And actually, once they've spent six months perfecting that and getting it really accurate, they're really excited to go to the business and people say, but attrition's not a problem. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but it's gone from 3.4 to 3.5. <laughs> or, or, you know, it's 20%. Well, so what? So what? Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you one little story because it's from a company in the city. So this is also, it's about analytics. It's also about metrics that we, I think too often we measure the wrong things. So wonderful story, big investment bank. And they said, we have a great succession planning process. So, so how do you know? I said, oh, We've got, what was it, 96% one one two, a nice hard number. What that meant was in the top 300, 96% of the roles, they had one emergency successor, one immediate, and two, et cetera. So I said, okay, so in what percentage of times where somebody's left one of those roles, have you replaced them <clears throat> with somebody identified in the succession plan? Uh, we've never measured that. So that was, which was fascinating. They went away and measured it. Guess what the number was? I, I, I should say 91%, but I suspect it's very low. Eight. Eight. <laughs> and, and the thing that scares me about that, because it's such an HR-centric approach, it's not just passive. Mm. It's they are wasting a massive amount of time in getting line managers to enter these totally irrelevant names into boxes. If you think of the amount of time people have spent doing that, or the amount of time they've created a system to allow them to pull all this together and report on it. And the amount of time they're then reporting the data to people in the business are probably saying, this kind of feels irrelevant, but they're supposed to know what they're talking about. 
So I think, you know, we're actually wasting time and money on this stuff. Yes, I agree. Um, now, interestingly, as you said, go, winding back a bit, you did say there's lots of good HR people yeah, out yeah. there and, and people, good people yeah, in people yeah, analytics. Yeah, so I completely yeah. concur with that. Um, also, you've worked with organizations all over the world. If you look at Nick's LinkedIn profile, you'll see some of those organizations <laughs> without highlighting any of them here. You know, in your travels and experience of working mm. with some of these companies, what do you think makes a good CHRO? <laughs> Um, I've got to be very careful here, otherwise I'll piss off some more. <laughs> um, so, so let, let me simplify it down to two or three things. First of all, a good and to me, it's not skill sets or whatever; it's mindsets. Yeah. So, first of all, a good HRD search, whatever you want to call them, um, they think of themselves not as the representative of HR on the leadership team. They think of themselves as a member of the leadership team. So that, first of all, is their mindset, which what does that mean? It means they are fascinated by not just business, but their business. Yeah. So I was working with in the Middle East, working with the HR director, one of the biggest companies in the world. And I was in her office and on her desk were a load of magazines, not on the desk, a coffee table, a load of magazines, you know, SHRM and all that kind of stuff and we had this conversation I went back a month later and on her desk were oil and gas monthly petrochemical and it was that so that's number one is you are fascinated by your business Um, that then gives you something to talk about I think the other two things that HR needs particularly at sorry at HR director level is a unique combination of political savvy and integrity so first of all, organizations are messy places. Yeah. All the best HR people I know understand the real world. They know in their companies where are decisions really made, where does the power really sit, who are the movers and shakers. So for instance, they know who is the second most important person you need to build a relationship with. Number one is the CEO. Number two is the CEO's executive assistant. <laughs> because they're incredibly powerful people. Mm. Um, so that thing, the danger is that can be seen as manipulative. And frankly, whenever I sort of talk to people about political savvy, a lot of HR people go, ooh, that's dirty, nasty stuff sort of thing. But if you combine that with integrity, then people will trust you. Yeah. And then you can get the stuff done. And I, I remember when I interviewed these 45 CEOs, the last question I asked all of them was, why have you had to sack your CEO? All of them had. Um, one answer was the business had grown beyond their capability. Intellectually, they couldn't operate with the level of complexity we had. Great people, still, I'm still friendly with them. Um, a second one, which I think is a really important thing, is lots of talk and no delivery. Yeah. No follow-through, no discipline, no, etc. But all of them had had to sack their, their, their HR director for a lack of integrity. Because all of them had said, one of the most valuable things from my HR director was to be my personal confidant. Mm. And to do that, you have to be able to trust them totally. And one of them told me a story. He said, you know, I, I, we were having this very personal chat and I'd shared some personal things. And about a week later, my marketing director repeated them back to me. And I know there was only one place and that is unacceptable. Also by integrity, I mean, you don't think about yourself or HR. Yeah. Whatever you're doing, you do for the organization. And Hugh Mitchell, who I work quite closely with, he used to be the chief people officer or HR director at Shell, I think one of the great HR directors, that was his big thing. He was politically savvy. Mm. But people trusted him. 
because they knew that above everything, all he cared about was the future of, of Shell. And they knew he wasn't playing silly games. He was actually navigating his way around. So, for instance, the chair would come and visit him before every board meeting for about an hour to understand what was really going on. Because he knew, first of all, that, that Hugh was deep in, in the business, really knew what was going on, and he would tell him the right stuff. He tells me another story that he was in a, an executive meeting and the CEO, CEO hadn't done a great job. So, being so first of all, he knows he has to do something about it because yep. he's accountable for that. Equally, he knows he's not going to confront him in front of all of their peers because then it just becomes a confrontation. So he, he waited until the end of the meeting, followed the CEO off to his office, let the CEO go in first, walked in behind him, theatrically shut the door behind him and goes, well, that wasn't your finest hour, was it? <laughs> now, I think that, that's what I mean by politically. And of course, because the CEO trusts him, he knows he's not just do, that's not just a flippant comment and it turned into a, a great conversation. Toby Payton Jones, who's the HR director at Siemens, he told me a wonderful story. He had his board weren't behaving particularly well. So he just waited the quiet and he said, hmm, if our direct reports were in the room watching us behave like this, what do you think they'd say? <laughs> and then just stood back. Now that to me is you've got that, you know, you understand HR. You understand people, you understand all the theory, you've got that commercial mindset that it is about the business, but the, the differentiator to me is that ability to really get things done in messy, complex, dysfunctional organisations. And that's probably something we need to apply throughout HR. Oh, HR yeah. needs yeah. to stop set talking about the business as the business. They are part <laughs> yes. of the business. Yes. yes. You know, and I think that <laughs> that's certainly something that I've come across quite frequently. I'm sure I'm sure you had as well. So so we run CRF, we run an HR business partner program, and it's always oversubscribed. And by the way, we spend time talking about political savvy on it. Um, and people get a bit upset because the first thing I say in the first minute is I hate the phrase HR business partner. Now, we call it that because for a marketing thing, you're going to get the right people on it. But we're not partners. As you said, we're part of the business. Mm. And if you have this attitude that, for instance, I, I annoy a lot of HR people because I'll say, who, is it, who, who manages the people in your business? And quite rightly, they'll say line managers. And I'll say, so who is accountable for people management? Line managers. No, HR is accountable. I said, no, 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 you don't understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if it's not being done well, it's no good you're just going, oh, the line managers aren't doing it very well. You've got to work out why. Aren't you, are you giving them the wrong messaging? Are you not recruiting and um, promoting the right people? Are you not giving the right development? Do you have people who actually just shouldn't be managing people, yeah. but you force them to because it's the only way they can get promotion and get the job and the, and the big office, etc. And we need to stand back. And that's where the analytics really does come in, because it's not just gut feeling, which I think has a play, part to play, but you then got to back it up yeah. to work out what is really going on, what can we do that will really make a difference, and how can we use that to persuade leaders, managers, whoever, who actually have to lead and manage the business, that they need to do it differently. And I guess that's the big thing what people analytics do. We can provide that insight. Yeah. It can have, help HR business partners. I agree, I'm not fond of this one either. Um, have more impactful conversations yes. with 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 the business, you know, so actually sales managers, 
leaders can actually get things done. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you're right. You know, it's a, it's a combination of having the data and actually having the experience and the knowledge as well. But but yeah, I mean, it's just. So another story, another great HR director who interestingly runs the financial services business now, a guy called Phil Smith, who I used to work with him in the Prudential and in Arthur Anderson. And I remember, I won't mention the company, but it was one of his very first executive team meetings where he was the HR director of a large organization and they were talking about a big capex decision. So Phil had sat on quietly in the corner and been working out the MPV and he goes, hang on a minute, the denominator in the uh, the MPV calculation is wrong. That's not our weighted average cost of capital. It's this. And I've just done a quick recalculation. This is negative MPV. And three things happen. The first thing that happened was the finance director was going, oh, <laughs> his team had given the wrong numbers. Yeah. Um, and afterwards, Phil said he should probably have mentioned it to him first. But, um, but the second thing, which I think is the most important thing, he saved the decision from making a value destructive decision. It was, it was nothing to do with people, workforce or whatever, mm. but that's not how he saw himself. The other thing, because I knew some of the people on the board, it totally changed their view of Phil. That rather than he's the HR person who, you know, at the end of the meeting, oh, by the way, Phil, have you got any new statistics on retention or, or absentee or whatever? They, they would turn to him for every single decision. And this, for instance, is what um, he used to do at Shell. And again, the political savvy, he would wait until everybody around the room had presented. And then he, sitting opposite the, the chief executive, because he always sat in that chair so he could make eye contact with him, he'd say, so, that's interesting. So what I think we've just discussed is this, which did two things. It gave the CEO the chance to stop and reflect on what was going on. And it meant he controlled the agenda. Because, yeah. of course, he could summarise. And, and it's not that he summarised it for his own ends. But he summarised it to really pull together and provide the real insights in the business, which, by the way, he really, really understood because he'd worked in the business, which is another thing, by the way. Good HR people, in my opinion, have spent time working in a non-HR role. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit more. Yeah. Some of the CHROs that I'm coming across now are people that have actually worked out of outside yeah. HR. And maybe this is their first job in yeah. HR. Yeah. Yeah. They might have run sales or, or operations yeah. or occasionally finance. Um, and then they're kind of coming into into HR, which is which is interesting. It's it's. A I think in the US, it's a third of CHROs of the, the the largest companies come from a non HR background, and all H and, and people have an HR centric view of the world. Throw their hands up in horror. Yeah. Whereas my view is, if it's working, that's fine. And again, I did some research into that. It works really, really well when first of all the the person knows what they don't know. Yeah. So they don't come in pretending. They know everything, which means, secondly, they really learn. They really, really focus on learning. The third thing is they realize they have at the next level down to surround themselves with real experts. Yeah. And they have to really, really be rigorous. And every HR director I've ever spoken to, when I've said, what's your biggest regret, is when I took on the role, I didn't clear out the blockers quickly enough. That there were people who, in, in my heart of hearts, I knew actually weren't going to make it. But the, the, these people coming in, they will surround, they'll get rid of the ones they don't rate quickly and they'll surround themselves with real experts. And by the way, they will surround themselves with people who work and collaborate as a team. So equally, what they don't want on their team is somebody who's, re, who's um, representing L&D, somebody who's representing resourcing. Some No, when you're on our team together, we are working for the sake of the whole organization, not for your bit of yeah. 
HR. <laughs> Silo stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we've moved to the last question, unfortunately. I think we could probably talk right. all day. Um, and this is a question that we ask all our guests on the Digital HR Leader Show. You know, where do you see HR's role in 2025? In the corner over there. No. Um, <laughs> so, again, it comes back to the point about ambiguity and disruption. I think I just don't think you can predict no. where it will be. However, I think there are going to be some themes. So I was working recently out on the West Coast with a with a with an HR function that was really focusing on being business HR. And some people in the room are saying, but Nick, you don't understand. There's all this administrative work. It takes up all my time. I don't have the time to do this stuff you're talking about. And luckily, I'd worked with the HR director, so I'd got the permission. And basically, I said, well, in which case, in a few years' time, you're out of a job. Because that's my view is, you know, what, what you're seeing with technology now, and I'm st I still don't think we're there yet, but it's starting to do what it says it can do on the tin. I still think there's a massive gap between the promise and reality, but it's only going to get better, which means that all of those things, I think they're just going to disappear from HR. I remember years ago when I was researching the sort of the three box model and I was chatting to Unilever and it was fascinating. The person they put in charge of shared services wasn't from an HR background. They were from a shared services background. So they were brilliant at process mapping. They were brilliant at process management. They're outstanding at outsourced JV relationship management, et cetera, because they recognized that was the skill set. And I think that's what's going to happen. So I think that bit of HR is going to disappear. And if you want to stay in that world, you'd better be good at managing the technology or you're out of a job. I think in the other direction, there is what I would call OD organizational development, which I believe is not separate. I think that the core of good HR is organizational development. How do we build and develop the capability of an organization, which includes organizational design, it includes our processes, our systems, our culture, as well as the individuals in it? Because HR is not just the people function, it's the people and organizational function. And I could see that not necessarily sitting and being called HR, I could see that sitting in the CEO's office, in strategy, in finance, wherever. And this is the problem I think with too many people in HR are scared of that. Yeah. Whereas to me, and, and by the way, I am proud to work in HR. I think it's the most fascinating, most influential function of all when it's done properly. But what I care about is the impact HR can have, not whether HR survives or what it's going to be. And the last caveat is having said that, that will be totally different in every organization. And the worrying thing to me is H, you know, some HR people, oh, that's now the answer, so we need to do that and that. No, it's what is going to be right, taking into account where your organization is trying to go and the, the future of work, the demographics, the technology, et cetera, in your country, your region, globally, in your industry, whatever. And that's about, as you said, throughout, understanding the business. Yeah. You know, it's also about having the right mindset yeah. Um, and actually maybe looking on some of the change that is going to come, even if we can't predict what that's going to be, as an opportunity. And I must admit, if I was an HR professional, I had an opportunity to move a lot of that administration yeah, away, exactly. either through automation or through service yeah. centres, and actually focus, as you said, on organisational effectiveness uh, and, and actually setting the organisation up to deliver. And that's a really exciting role. But, and I think this is a really controversial statement, you've got to have the intellectual capability yeah. to step into that space. And I'm not sure everybody in HR has that intellectual capability. And if we were talking about T Thomas Chamorro Premiership and Adrian Fernand, people like that, 
one of the things fascinating listening to real academics, people who've done the data and the analytics, is the best predictor of success in senior leadership roles is intellect. Mm. Not, not only intellect, but if you haven't got, the danger is that if you don't have the intellect, you'll dumb the role down to the level you can operate at. And I think that's letting the business down. And I think, therefore, we as a function need to step up into that space and demonstrate that we actually can operate with that <clears throat> degree of complexity and, and, and ambiguity, etc., and really understand the numbers. Yeah. Now, how do you, it fascinates me how few HR people can just explain to me very quickly, so how do you make money in your business? Well, we sell stuff. <laughs> No, it's not really good enough answer. Yeah, uh, <laughs> HR are business people at the end of the day. Yeah, Nick, yeah. Thank you very much. I'd love to have this conversation in 2025 and see what's actually starting to pan yeah. out. It won't um, be. It won't be that. <laughs> it won't be you. what I predicted. <laughs> thank you for joining us on the Digital HR Leader Show. How can people get in contact with you? I know you're you're reasonably active on social media. <clears throat> so I'm mainly active on Twitter. So a, a, another good friend of ours, Dave Milner, introduced me to Hootsuite. Oh yes. So every day I, I tweet. Well. Yeah, every day, <laughs> every day I tweet. Every hour, eight hours, I will tweet something, and it's not just about HR. You know, it'll be about the world of work. It'll be about strategy or whatever it is. Um, I'm Nick underscore Holly, and I'm also on Twitter. I'm not sorry. I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm not as active as Nicholas Holly. Okay, brilliant. We'll look forward to that. And I can certainly recommend to any of you watching, definitely follow Nick on Twitter. He he puts some great stuff out there. Nick, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via iTunes or your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on iTunes and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make this podcast. If you haven't already, do check out myhrfuture.com for the latest news on the future of HR. And you can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter there. That's all for this week, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to Katarina Berg, Chief Human Resources Officer at Spotify. See you next time.